Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who has all kinds of soccer podcasting experience. I'm talking about just this week. His name <laughs> is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. That's a good intro. Yeah, uh, multiple times this week I, I've had to tell my wife, like, okay, like when we're doing our, our daily plan in the morning, like, oh, it's going to be a late night. I'm going to be in the office. She's like, what? You did that last night and the night before. It's been a lot of late recording for I us. I had the same thing. We mm-hmm. both have very uh, forgiving and encouraging wives. This is true. Right? This is very they true. support our podcasting, mm-hmm. uh, just like Jeremy Renner's wife supports his avenging. <laughs> she does. I have a question <laughs> for you, though. This is a, a view behind the curtain. Yeah. Do you and your wife tend to go to bed at the same time, or is it she goes to bed, you're up late? She goes earlier than me. That's that's about yeah. where we are as well. I think my wife goes to bed at like 10, and then I'm in bed anywhere between midnight and like 4 yeah. a.m. Which sounds bad, but it means that like I can spend time with her uh-huh. in the late evening, yep. and then afterwards, then I get some time to do some work. This right? is the schedule we, that I have stumbled upon. Yeah, we could go to bed at the same time, but it would mean me just working yeah. while I was home. Yeah, no I good. Do, I do intentionally leave lights on downstairs or like something cooking so that I know at some point I have to get out of bed. To get something cooking. I will like leave. Yeah, I'll be like How a, is your house not constantly on fire? You leave cooking, baby. You got to use that Instant Pot, man. You got to use the Instant Pot. <laughs> or I'll leave laundry running so that I know it'll be wrinkled if I leave it in the dryer. So then I have to get up and deal with that. Wow. Then I'll do the work and then I keep going. I just do it. Also that. <laughs> You're sponsored by Nike now, right? Yes. Okay, I read the Nike slogan. <laughs> um, so today's show, we've got all kinds of listener questions. The reason we've been sort of working, doing – what was it called? Two-a-days mm-hmm. like when you in soccer training <laughs> yep. um, is we've been publishing all kinds of Soccer 101 content. Mm-hmm. That's our spin-off show. It's our timeless episodes. It's a library of what we hope is informative and entertaining soccer information. We added a big text to it last night. We did. Well, this we morning, did. in fact. Yeah. We, well, I think it was both this morning. We added uh, the League Cup. I'm assuming that's the one you're talking about when it comes to the one that's going to get a lot of downloads and maybe create a source of controversy. Let's say yes. Probably not. Yeah. Instead, the ProRail episode yes. uh, was released today where we kind of go over uh, what ProRail is, why it doesn't exist in this country, why it should exist in this country, some of the obstacles to it, and then we go into some of our plans for how yep. it could come about. Yep. So Daryl and Taylor's big plans for ProRail. Mm-hmm. Um, that episode is now live. If yep. you go and find it in the Soccer 101 feed you can you can listen to it there as i said in the description tinfoil hats not necessary (laughs) i I do think that to your point about us doing two a days though similar to how that apparently burned out uh tottenham players and they were all kind of sluggish and tired and that thus was the end of Mauricio pochettino the computer today took its time turning on is all i'm saying it's usually up and ready to go it executes the game plan perfectly today Maybe it's feeling it it's a little to tell bit. Us yeah. something. It's telling us to take some time off for Thanksgiving, okay. which, we, which we will do. We will. Which we will do. We will. All right, but today we've got, I think, 10 questions mm-hmm. to answer. Uh, 10 good questions, I'm going to say. A lot of uh, thought experiments in here. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you're, if you're good, I'm going to start with Shane Albrecht's mm-hmm. um, thought experiment question. Shane asks us, if you could have any three Mexican or Canadian players make the switch to the U.S. men's national team, who would it be and why? I love this question. I had a feeling you would. So uh, how did you approach this question? I just chose three players that I liked. All right. But, yeah. did, you, but you, did you look at the U.S. right now or anything like that? Or was it just three players that you think would I mean, be great? honestly, I didn't go and look at the U.S. because mm-hmm. we've spent the last week right. um, yeah. sort of hyper-focusing on the U.S. I didn't really have to go and research them. Yeah, I, well, I guess <laughs> what I mean more so is like I was torn between just pick the three players that I would most want on the team versus yeah. pick the three players that I think would be most necessary. In the yes. end, I settled on the second one. Okay. So I've gone with up front. Raul Jimenez. Okay. Jimenez, excuse me. Got to learn how to pronounce Jimenez. it perfectly. Um, because we've talked previously about how we seem to have uh, a dearth of striking options, especially mm-hmm. with Josie Altador being injured, Josh Sargent still developing, Jesse Zardes having the inconsistencies. Raul Jimenez has become a key performer for Mexico, for Wolverhampton, obviously. Yep. And also, I think, can do a lot of what 
Greg Berhalter wants that forward to do. Yes. Can drop in if need be, can be technical, but can also be very pacey, can also be a very good target striker if yeah, need be. I agree with and all I that. I think the versatility would be very much utilized. So I'm going to interrupt to say that I also chose I had a Jimenez, but less for all the reasons you just said. I think oh, did you mean to say Raul Jimenez? I did mean okay, to say cool. that. All those are really valid reasons, and I think we do need uh, an mm-hmm. extra top-level striker like, yep. to go with Josie Altidore's hamstrings. Um, but also, because Jimenez is such a key figure at Wolves... I knew that was going to be the answer. Right? And, <laughs> yeah. But he plays for the rival national mm-hmm. team, of the national team that I support and talk about a lot. If we could make Jimenez American, it would be a dream come true. Mm-hmm. It would be a lot of like USA chants at, at the Wolves games. Yes. Instead of Wolves fans like wearing... like. Sombreros, which is uh, do they wear the weird. luchador masks? If they're wearing yes, luchador they masks, I'm fine with. Yeah, it. that's been kind of cool. Okay, because yeah. because cool. Jimenez is friends with a luchador wrestler, right? And sometimes oh, is he? wears them himself. Yeah, I can't remember his name, but yeah, they're buddies. He comes to watch him sometimes. I don't know now, but yeah. now I, I want to go to Wolves games all the more. <laughs> uh, so that was one for me. Who else did you have? Um, Alfonso Davies from mm-hmm. Canada. We definitely yeah. have a shortage of left backs, and he seems to be becoming a left back for Bayern Munich. That's interesting, I didn't think least. about it like that. Um, and honestly, if he doesn't play left back, there's a, a load of other positions where he would be an upgrade. Like mm-hmm. we are short on quality wingers, I would say, especially if Pulisic ends up playing in the middle for the United States, he would be an upgrade at winger or at left back. Um, and also, well, he's only 19. Mm-hmm. He, he's a talent for many years to come. I didn't think about the left back option yeah. of it all, and that does make that a very compelling answer. Imagine but- Dest from the right and yeah. Davies from the left. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. Ajax from the right, Davies from the left. We're suddenly a really legit national team. I'd be fine with that. Yeah. I'd be very much fine with that. Um, but I had the same idea in mind of maybe we need another wide attacker who's capable of playing on either side and doing lots of fun things and also uh, being inspired by a horror film. I'm talking about Chucky Lozano. Yes. Uh, Irving uh, Chucky Lozano. I think for a lot of what you've already mentioned in terms of like the, the pace and physicality despite his small size, but then the technical ability and mm-hmm. craft and skill and all that good stuff and just the consistent threat. Like we have have Pulisic, but I think he is like a reputation sort of player. Like like other fans, other teams know him, yeah. but maybe don't look at him as like he's the guy that we've got to be terrified of. Like Chucky Lozano is that sort of he's going to try stuff, he's going to go at people. He is kind of terrifying. Are you saying Pulisic? People aren't scared of Pulisic. They absolutely are. I think, especially now after um, performing in the Premier League, mm-hmm. I don't really want to get it's, sidetracked by this debate because I think I'm 100 percent right. Well, no, no, it's because it's because see, but you're, you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that Pulisic is like definitely head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of the player that I think other teams most are like concerned about want to mark out of the game but I don't think he's looked at at least yet as that player that if you let him in a 1v1 situation he will roast you and so you like you never want to let him be isolated you never want to let him be one-on-one Chucky Lozano I think is that player that you're sort of constantly concerned about don't let him get into a 1v1 situation don't let him find space out wide okay I would think whether that's true in comparison to Pulisic or not he would be a massive upgrade on the wings over with all due respect Paul Areola Jordan Morris Tyler Boyd Corey Baird. I would say we do have a little... Well, I wouldn't go so far about Corey Baird. We do have a little lack of quality on yep. the high, really high-level uh, quality on the wings. Chucky Lozano would be a massive, massive upgrade. Mm-hmm. That's why he's also on my list. All right. Yeah. Uh, and that's number it. three? That, that's my three. Davies, Lozano, and Jimenez. All right. Uh, I, I was torn between uh, Edson Alvarez for everything that he brings from a defensive standpoint, but mm-hmm. also like possession in the midfield, and Efren Alvarez. <laughs> I wouldn't mind just stealing him back. <laughs> <laughs> because he's been a very good performer for the Mexican U-17s. Yep. Uh, I think we'll continue to be a very good performer for the Galaxy until he's moved on and I think one day will be a very good performer for Mexico. This is definitely much more sentimental because we would have made the exact same argument and did about Jonathan Gonzalez yep. like a, a year and a half ago, two years ago at this point. I, As my fourth choice, mm-hmm. I've got maybe get Jonathan Gonzalez back. Yeah. yeah. The, so I've kind of, I've just gone one step further down and gone Efren Alvarez. Let's yeah. get him back <laughs> as, a, as a sort of like sign of where we're going. Any other sort of outside shouts? 
No, I mean, I, I think if age factored into it to me, because like I've always really enjoyed uh, Andres Guardado, mm-hmm. but at this point, I don't 33, know. Yeah, I don't really know yeah. if he's coming in to have the massive impact that he would have when he was, say, 26. Fair if enough. we were going like him in his prime, I would throw Andres Guardado in there for sure. Were you tempted by Hector Herrera? Uh, uh, For the exact same reason, yes, as well as Hector Moreno. And then, again, if we're going for, like, if you could have any player from, like, this era or modern era, I'd go Rafa Marquez, (laughs) as shocking as that might be. Like 40-something Rafa Marquez? No, definitely not Rafa Marquez, but maybe, like, 30-something Rafa Marquez. I'm not even sure he'd be safe playing home games in the U.S. I don't think he would be. For all kinds of um, legal reasons. (laughs) Should we just move swiftly away from that one? All right, let's do that one. Let's go to Jonathan Faylor. If Man City and Liverpool were forced to play an entire Premier League season down a man, so with 10 men uh where would they finish in the table now liverpool have already been doing this with jordan henderson now oh taylor i'm kidding it's mostly jealousy talking about their captain um (laughs) i honestly think down 10 men they're not Uh winning the league i think both teams would still finish mid-table in Uh, the premier league i have lower than you think but better than you think yeah (laughs) because really you would think if you said any premier league Mm -hmm. team had to play down a man the entire season they should instantly be relegated but i think both these teams would do um, yeah, like 11th, 12th. Yeah and, yeah, and as I want to do, I probably overthought this one a little bit because in my mind, I've even identified the period in which they're going to drop their most points because I don't think it's early because teams won't have adjusted to it yet. And I don't think it's late because I think both managers would be able to adjust by the end of the season. But it's like the Christmas fixture congestion period. That's where I feel like they get caught up because Ooh, that's when teams legs. have adjusted, but, but those managers, Klopp and Guardiola, themselves haven't f- quite figured it out yet to kind of take advantage of opportunities or whatever. And then it's also extra exertion. It's yep extra load on the players yep. and when you add just the general extra load of playing with 10 men mm-hmm. um, add it to the fixture congestion around Christmas and New Year in England yeah that's going to be a, a rough patch mm-hmm. for both of these teams how about tactically I know you, you thought about yep. um, uh, you mentioned this while we were picking up lunch that you mm-hmm. thought about how it would impact each team tactically I, I didn't do that much thinking so I'd like to hear your thinking I, I will tell you and then I, I would love to hear what you have to say about it because I don't think this is like me being a Man United fan and thus biased but I am inclined to say that I think City weather that storm or the 10 man storm slightly better storm. Slightly better than Liverpool do. Why so? Because I think with Liverpool, their players do very defined things very, very well. Some of them are loosely defined, but I think you could say like Firmino dropping in, linking up play, like creating space for other attackers to run into, those attackers staying wide, but then coming central mm-hmm. and kind of creating 1v1 situations. The midfield three, I think have a very like good relationship where everybody kind of understands their roles. You've got the attacking fullbacks, you've got two very strong center backs, and I yeah. think if you take any one of those out, it requires really so true. much changing in what Liverpool do compared to Man City I do think well, because let's they stick have, on Liverpool mm, a second sure. I th- I've just it's clicked in my head that you're absolutely right if you if you have to go 4-3-2 and you mm-hmm. lose one of those front three there's no longer that great interchange between like, like you said Firmino like mm-hmm. making space for like the, the, the threat from one side from right. Mane and mm-hmm. one side from Salah if it's only two players it's not the same threat all of a sudden right yeah. and then the midfield three they do such a good job of um, controlling space um, without the ball if you lose one of them, yeah. if you're going 4-2-3, you're mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. If you lose one of those, you, you can't do that same thing. If you lose either of the fullbacks, that's like a big threat that mm-hmm. Liverpool have. You can't lose a centre-back. You play one centre-back. You cannot. You're in all kinds of trouble. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's kind of testament to the system Klopp has built yep. that it requires 11 men and it's got so many interlocking parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and you take one away and they're in trouble, at least in terms of what Liverpool are now. They're still finishing mid-table. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's the key thing there. It's like it, it would require them to change their approach yeah. and I think they have Four the talent one. and the manager to do that and I think they probably find a way through. But that's what I meant when I said I think they probably drop more points earlier because yep. it requires such a change. Whereas with Man City, who are more than capable of playing possession, keeping the ball, spreading the field, moving it around, have players who can pop up in different spots at different times, I think it's much more sort of like, uh, like not necessarily we'll figure it out on the day, but 
but just sort of like it's less of a this person does this thing exactly like this or this person has to be here in order for this to happen because I can picture Raheem Sterling on the left. Oh, no, now he's on the right. Oh, no, now he's central. And just teams still kind of struggling to deal with that where are players at any so, given moment. So you're saying that even with 10 men, mm-hmm. Manchester City would still basically have high, high possession yes. numbers and dominate opposition. I want to argue against that because mathematically it doesn't seem to make sense. But it feels right. Mm-hmm. It feels like even with 10 men, Man City would still have most of the ball. Because if you, it, the idea in my mind is that if you're playing with uh, a man advantage, you spread the field, you make that op- opponent down a man do much more running. But actually, Man City want you to spread the field. They want yeah. you to be as open as possible. Kevin De Bruyne is exploiting all that space. And I, he definitely is. And then uh, we probably go back to the worst days, the worst stereotypes of tiki-taka, of just Man City have the technical ability in those players to just slow it down and pass it 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 and really cause you a lot of problems that way. So I don't think that they're in top four or anything like that, but I'd say they're still like lower mid-table and Liverpool are maybe a couple places behind. I think the Premier League should look into this. It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting. <laughs> Next question mm-hmm. comes from Nick Corby. Nick Corby asks... What would it take for Major League Soccer to break into the USA's top four sports and make it a top mm-hmm. five? I'm roundabout way of answering this is to say that like basically I feel like when I walk into a bar, a sports bar right now, if I see somebody wearing a jersey, if it's a soccer jersey, which itself is a big if, it's usually USA, maybe, Premier League, or one of the big Spanish teams. Mm-hmm. That's it. And if they're watching a game in that bar, it's almost always going to be the Premier League. Maybe it's Champions League if, if it's midweek. And I think that is kind of my answer is it would take that not being like the case and instead it not being weird to see a person wearing a Toronto jersey watching a Toronto game in the bar on like a random evening. I think yeah. – and to get there, it would require basically a lot of money. So Yeah, I agree. Because yeah. I think the real key thing in Nick's question is that he says, what would it take for MLS mm-hmm. to break into top four yeah. sports? Not what would it take for soccer, right? But, but that's what I'm saying. Is like if yeah, you no, go I'm agreeing to, with you. I'm okay. underlining your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. if you go to that, like, like you see the Premier League jersey, you don't see a Seattle Sounders jersey unless mm-hmm. maybe you're in Seattle. And for that transition to happen, you said this, again, when we were getting lunch, lots of stuff happens while we're lunching, uh, that like it would basically require Major League Soccer to be the best league in the world. Yep. And I disagreed with you as soon as you said that, and then within 10 seconds was like, oh, no, no, he's right. It's yep. pretty much, yeah, you're pretty so much right. if there were, I mean, this is an imaginary situation, right? Mm-hmm. Somehow there's just billions and billions and trillions of dollars yep. poured in to, um, to Major League Soccer, and it becomes the destination league, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the Messi's and Ronaldo's of the future, basically the big, big names that everybody wants to see. If those players are playing in Major League Soccer, um, I think everybody would be um, compelled to, soccer, all soccer fans mm-hmm. would be compelled to watch it. And I think you'd get a lot of the, like, the NFL-type fans would love to then to what, not love to, but would be tempted to watch that league because you know, you, one, you're seeing the very best players in the world, and two, it's happening right here in the yeah. United States. It becomes like one of our domestic leagues is the best in the world. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people would be tempted to watch it. Yeah, yeah I, I would agree. And, and I would say, like, here's the best analogy I can come up with on the fly is like, if you had an American Downton Abbey, you're, no one's going to watch that. Everyone's going to watch Downton Abbey from England da- because Downtown like, Abbey. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that, and then I was worried I'd get made fun of. It sounds more like an NBC. Sitcom, I love calling right? it Downtown. It's like Abbey. Caroline yes. in the City. It should be. It should be an Abbey Downtown. Um, but like <laughs> because like it's you're looking at this thing of like well, it's oh, no, about for, for me Abbey's a woman. Downtown <laughs> oh, okay, Abbey. Yeah. that 
might actually happen. She's, <laughs> a, she's, <laughs> she's a young professional from the suburbs who's finally made the move to the big city. She, you, has to look, she has to like parallel park for the first time. And If you go to Netflix's <laughs> headquarters right now and just, and just say this, yeah. they're just going to throw a pile of money at you, I think. <laughs> like, when can you have it to us? Tomorrow? We need it tomorrow. <laughs> um, but like, like you're not going to watch the American version of that because it's not – it's like about like the British aristocracy, aristocracy of a certain time period. You're going to go uh, watch the one in Britain that they kind of know what they're doing. And I, yeah. and I say the same thing that I think with a lot of people who are getting into soccer, to watch MLS, not men is disrespect, but like you are intentionally watching a lower quality product than watching Barcelona play or Madrid play or Bayern Munich play or, or yep. some of the Premier League teams. And so I think until that sort of balance is out, there's always going to be that desire to, well, if I'm going to spend my time watching a sport, I want to watch the best I can possibly watch. Yep. Um, I've got some, I did some research into this as well just to, to get some viewing figures for you. The average viewership on TV for Major League Soccer, 246,000 per game yeah. um, in 2019. The viewing figures for MLS Cup, which was on ABC. So mm-hmm. it was on network TV. I think it was just over a million, yeah. right? So not bad, but also lower than it has been, say, the year before was nearly 2 million, right? Mm-hmm. NFL averages 15.8 million viewers per game. Yeah. And we should note we're talking about English language only, but I think even then you still got plenty of Spanish language uh, networks broadcasting NFL games too. And, and here's the other thing. Um, in terms of soccer, um, MLS is not the most popular league in the United no. States, right? Is, um, is it the Premier League or is it the Champions League from what you saw? It's it's sort of a tie between the Premier League and Liga MX. Oh, of course, yep. of course. Both averaging around five hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you, and and then if you did bring in the Champions League, yeah, I don't know the numbers. It's it maybe drops down. It's because it's the middle of the day. I think Champions League yeah. is harder. I don't mm-hmm. know the numbers, but I would assume they're not as big as you think because it's not in prime time. It's like two forty-five on a Tuesday and Wednesday afternoon. I bet the Champions League final does does decent numbers compared yeah. to other professional sporting events like mm-hmm. championship games. Yep, and the maybe inter- not the Super Bowl. Slightly interesting thing. Uh, next question talks about the top four. Um, I would argue there's a top three mm-hmm. of NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. So when you look at the hockey viewing mm-hmm. numbers uh, for the regular season, they're not that big. Yeah. NHL on NBC Sports Network averages 313,000 a game. Like right. For regular season games, Premier League actually outdraws hockey on NBC Sports. But then there's always the weird thing of because American sports have playoffs – those numbers get bigger and bigger and bigger. For example, the uh, 2019 Stanley Cup Game 7, 8.7 million viewers. Yeah. That's I a mean, huge jump from the average on NBC Sports Network. But I think people will... What was it on NBC Sports? 300,000? Three, about 313,000 per game average and then mm-hmm. 8.7 million for Stanley Cup Game 7. Good. But honestly, I look at someone like you. I don't mm-hmm. know if you did watch it, but you're like mostly a soccer fan, right? Mm-hmm. But you're a sports mm-hmm. fan. I could see you... If you weren't doing anything, you, if you didn't have Soccer 101 yeah. in the same week as the Soccer <laughs> Show, you might be like, oh, Game 7, I might or, watch Or that. a roast in the oven that I desperately need to take yeah. care of. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. There's a lot of casual sports fans yes. who might tune in for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I'm not sure that's true with Soccer. I don't, I don't think it is. And I think because you have so many options, again, to go back to that point, if you are just going to casually watch a game, are you going to watch a regular season MLS game? Or are you going to watch a Copa Lib game? Or are you going to watch a Premier League game? Mm-hmm. Or a Bundesliga match? Or some cup fixture? Like You're probably going to gravitate towards those sorts of events. Yep. All right, so I think we've answered that question. Actually, I do want to say Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to happen. I think for soccer to be successful in America, it Mm -hmm. doesn't have to have viewership numbers like the NFL, right? The good thing about America is there are, what, 330 million people? Mm -hmm. You don't even need – you need a pretty small percentage of people to have a viable product. (laughs) You do, right? Yeah, and I think – Total soccer is a viable product. The vast majority of Americans don't listen to it. 
I mean, <laughs> that's hurtful and upsetting, but also technically correct. Um, I also think, though, that if MLS continues to kind of exist as it has been, like think about all of the way that NFL has been covered and everything that relates to NFL right now. And does that maybe worsen going forward? Does NFL lose some of that market share and which leagues are most poised to pick it up? I do think there's a decent argument to be made for MLS. Yeah. I agree with your point that it doesn't necessarily have to happen, but I think there will be opportunities. I don't think it will always be MLS kind of struggling to make that yeah. break into the TV market. I'd settle for slow, steady growth. Yep. Slow, mm-hmm. steady growth. So um, too would the tortoise? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm good with that one. <laughs> All right. Today's show is sponsored by Away. Mm-hmm. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. Thoughtful luggage for modern travel. They started with the perfect suitcase, crafted with features that make travel more seamless. Now they offer a range of essentials that solve real-world travel problems, so all you have to think about is when you're headed next, or where you're headed next. When you're headed out next is a thing that you can worry about when it comes to ticketing and whatnot. But for us, we headed out to Germany recently. Daryl Grove took his away luggage with him. How did. how did it work out? It performed. It, it absolutely performed. performed. Yep. So there are two sizes of carry-on that away offers, and it's kind of clever. The away carry-on is the exact uh, maximum dimensions that you're allowed for carry-on. The bigger carry-on is just a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. but not so much bigger that any airline's going to notice. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's enough to get away with it. Right. Because uh, like, I do think that there is that line where the person checking in will be like, come on. Like you got to check that yeah. bag. But yeah, yeah the bigger never, carry-on doesn't even come mm-hmm. close to that line. It, it does it not. It the eye test, but if you measured it, it would be slightly bigger. There we go. And then it has <laughs> other like additional features that I think are, are pretty wonderful. Uh, for me, I, I tend to, when we travel, I end up having to ask somebody if I can borrow their charger to get my, <laughs> my, my phone charged because like the Cooligans always have uh, mobile chargers to make sure all of their electronics yeah, yeah. are fully rev- ready to go. Well, now you can ask me. There we because, go. Because mm-hmm. uh, my, my away luggage came with a charger. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just um, it's like uh, a battery that sits at the top of the suitcase you just plug your plug your phone in and it charges up nice and fast you can get i think five full iphone chargers um from the battery that's in an away uh away luggage suitcase that's decent you've got four 360 degree spinner wheels uh that guarantee a smooth ride and i did notice all four were actually 360 every now and then you get three or 360 and then one of them is like 290 and that doesn't really work as well (laughs) here's the the big it's not the biggest innovation but it's the one that had the biggest effect on me there's a removable laundry bag inside every suitcase so in one of the walls in the of, future. of the interior of the case you unroll um, a laundry bag so you know when you've been there a few days there's always that thing of like mm-hmm. oh, I've got all these worn clothes what do I do with them away gives you a little bag within your bag to store uh, so, store your worn clothes so they don't get mixed up with the, the clothes that you plan to wear in the future. I don't know. I think my system of just cram it all together and zip it up and pray, I think that's a pretty effective solution. But if you don't want to go with that be one, my solution. if you want slightly more organization, maybe uh, Away is the way to go. And they're not just going to make you uh, listen to us talk about how great they are <laughs> and then go out and buy it, Daryl. They're going to make it easy for our listeners to buy an Away product. They certainly are because you can get $20 off a suitcase if you visit awaytravel.com slash TSS. That's awaytravel.com slash TSS. And then use promo code TSS during checkout. You'll get $20 off the cost of a suitcase. So thank you very much to Away Travel for sponsoring today's episode of the Total Soccer Show. Should we do some more questions, Daryl? Yeah, let's do exactly that. You've got the document. What's going on? Uh, We've got a question from Vivian S. uh, Who says, I vaguely remember you two discussing this, but would love to know uh, what your thoughts are on a merger between MLS and Liga Amekis. Pros, cons, would it be a logistical nightmare? I don't think it would be a logistical nightmare unless they actually tried to just merge all the teams into one big league. What I think is going to happen is 
it would all, almost work as two separate conferences, right? Mm-hmm. There'd be Major League Soccer and there'd be Liga MX and then the playoffs would be where the where the two leagues merged, right? You'd have yep. combined playoffs. I think that's that's probably what they've got their eye on in the future. And I think that's really workable, right? It's a mm-hmm. lot of travel, but if it's just for playoffs, it's kind of okay. When, when do you so think... So not a logistical nightmare. If they did it, though, the only like major nightmare that I could see is when do you do it? When do those playoffs happen? Oh, the calendar, the calendar year. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, I don't know. See what I'm saying? Because you can't do it at the end of MLS regular season because you've got MLS playoffs. Yeah. If you do it at the end of MLS playoffs, you're sort of cheapening the playoffs themselves. Oh, no, you would scrap MLS playoffs and you would scrap Liga MX playoffs. Okay. This would be the playoffs for mm-hmm. both leagues would be we combine it. Yeah, so there would just be... Uh, just there would just be Liga MX okay. MLS playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I I wonder how you do it. In a, is there a way to do it with like a split season? Because the only thing then is you're sort of you're removing your own domestic competition, which I guess is part of the point. But I feel like there'd be hesitation because people would want uh, like an American champion, a Mexican champion, and then also you'd have like the Continental champion. Well, maybe this would be the thing where the supporter shield, mm-hmm. the regular season champion, you would be the champion of the U.S. and a bit of Canada, uh-huh. and you would be the champion of uh, Mexico. Mm-hmm. But then you enter the playoffs for the North American champion. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it might bring more value to the to the regular season. It might. I, I, I'm I'm incle- increasingly inclined to believe that the logistical nightmare. It wouldn't be necessarily be a nightmare, but you would have a lot of issues that you'd have to run into and navigate yeah. in order to get everybody on board. But I think a pro would be that you're basically increasing the profile of soccer, and you're also by having two countries now having one league that has this playoff. You're definitely going to get some eyeballs on you. You're going to get a lot more people watching. Yeah, because it's going to be interesting. It's also going to be from like a league. Mecky standpoint now you're going to have those eyes that built-in audience yep. combined with the American audience and I think maybe some international folks are going to want to see what's happening there yes. so you'd get a lot of attention a lot of headlines at least in the beginning and probably a good TV deal mm-hmm. I think if MLS and League MX are ever going to try and compete with Premier League Bundesliga mm-hmm. Champions League this, this maybe doesn't put them on the same level but it's I would argue a quantum leap forward mm-hmm. in terms of the uh, the marketability of soccer in the United States and Mexico. And Scott Bakula would be involved. He, of course he would, yeah. yeah. He, yeah. Everything good involves Scott Bakula. <laughs> of course. Um, also, maybe you could include some interleague play throughout mm-hmm. the season. I've just thought of this. That might add some of the interest to it, right? If you had Club America playing against the LA Galaxy um, at some point during the season, I think, I think you get a lot of eyes on that. Wait, I'm confused now. So instead of doing like separate leagues with a playoff at the end, you're We're still now like, having crossover? You still have like... Um, an MLS league mm-hmm. and a Liga MX league, but within there, there are a few interleague games, right? Not with a fully balanced schedule. You have to do like a whole where you play a whole thing. We have to play against every single Liga MX team, but I'll bet you they'll sprinkle in some interleague play. I'm, it won't look, it won't look very nice and balanced on the schedule, yeah. but I think this will be a marketing exercise, and they will they will definitely be willing to bend the rules a little bit like that. I'm upgrading this too. Yes, it's a logistical nightmare based solely on that <laughs> that element. Um, the other, I mean, neg- I mean, look, MLS Eastern Conference, mm-hmm. Western Conference does it now, right? You play every team in your conference home mm-hmm. and away, but then you also have some interconference play, mm-hmm. but not with a balanced schedule, right? So it's just the same thing, but... Uh, what do you mean not with a balanced schedule? So not, not every team plays the, the, against the, uh, every other team home and away across the two conferences, mm-hmm. right? You play your own conference teams home mm-hmm. and away, and then you'll play... If you're the Eastern Conference, right. you play, you'll play a team from the Western Conference, mm-hmm. either home or away. Um, you don't have the same schedule as the rest of the teams in your conference. Okay. Yeah, All so right. it's kind of unbalanced and interleague already. Yeah. 
kind of. Yeah. Um, I also think a, a major issue is that when you're talking about unbalanced, the unbalance in terms of talent level is very much evident in terms of uh, CONCACAF uh, Champions League and the amount of Mexican teams that have won it versus the amount of American teams that have won it. Yeah. So you're also then going to have to deal with either Mexican dominance uh, early or you're going to have to change a lot of the operational structure of mm-hmm. Major League Soccer to allow those teams to get deeper and better faster. I guess the hope for MLS would be that the increased money coming in from mm-hmm. doing this uh, means that they can increase their, their salary cap and the, they, they can loosen the roster rules and spend some more money. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be the only way. They wouldn't want to be embarrassed, right? They wouldn't want to have... Uh, <laughs> kind of defeats the purpose. Combined playoffs where all MLS teams go out in the first round. Yeah, I mean, that, that does like... To, with that in mind, I do think that if this were proposed right now, even though it's MLS wanting to make more money and get the exposure up, they might be the ones who drag their feet a little bit on this one because I think there probably is an awareness of, yeah, from top to bottom, we're not really competing mm-hmm. with Liga Mekis. So maybe we'll just hold off for like a couple of years and we'll just do some like friendlies and exhibitions yeah. until we can get to a point where we feel like we can win every time. Then we'll play. I think it would be good for MLS to set a date, maybe mm-hmm. five years in the future, and build towards it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just... It's like it's like playing pickup soccer, but being like, I'm not going to play pickup until my team is fully drilled and ready to go, and we're all outfitted in the best possible equipment. <laughs> then we'll play just like a relaxed game of pickup that will definitely win. Would you enjoy the combined playoffs? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, me too. I think it would. I think it would. I think maybe anytime there's like innovation or like new teams are suddenly involved, it's going to bring about some like a new level of excitement and enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. But also, I think yeah, just because. We'd probably have more exposure to Liga Mekis because of that, and so we'd be more familiar with some of the players in the teams. That's true. But still, they would be a little bit like uh, outside of our uh, of our norm in terms of the teams we talk about. So yeah. you'd have that kind of like passing familiarity, but also excitement to finally get to watch this team yeah. like in person or in an extended amount of time. And then you'd also get you'd have a natural rooting interest, right? Mm-hmm. If you're based in the U.S. and you're a U.S. fan, mm-hmm. when it's a Sporting KC against Monterey, mm-hmm. you're not just like, oh, here's two teams. You're like, yep. well, I hope the American team wins, yep. right? So every round of the playoffs. All of American soccer fans could potentially support one MLS team. And if you really actively dislike Major League Soccer, then it works the opposite way. <laughs> then you can go root for whomever you want for Mexico and never root for Sporting KC. And that's the way you, you strike out against U.S. soccer. There we go. Mm-hmm. You'd have to face Peter Vermees afterwards. So. <laughs> he would. Nobody wants that. <laughs> Next question. You ready? Mm-hmm. It's from Manuel Morales. Manuel Morales asks, if a European-based U.S. men's national team 11 played against a Major League Soccer-based U.S. men's national team 11... What would the score be? Mm-hmm. Now, Daryl uh, did the legwork here and kind of came up with two quick teams. Do you yeah, want to run I've got two sort of approximate 11s yeah. based on a, a Greg Berhalter-ish 4-3-3. Because we could do an entire show picking a Euro 11 and MLS 11, and then we wouldn't get to the actual question, right? Okay, here's my Euro-based 11. Stefan in goal, uh, back four of Serginho Dest, Matt Miazga, John Brooks, Tim Ream at left back. Midfield three of Tyler Adams, Weston McKenney, and Dwayne Holmes. Mm-hmm. Um, Ware on the right, Pulisic on the left, Josh Sargent is the striker. That's my Euro-based 11. Mm-hmm. Um, my MLS-based 11, Brad Guzan in goal, seems logical, right? Uh, Reggie Cannon at right back. Centre-backs are Zimmerman and Aaron Long. Left back is... Love it, slash Gasper, slash Gaza, question mark. <laughs> Left backs are real problem. Are they all going to play at the same time? Because if so, that seems like an unfair advantage. I they would get thirty minutes each. I think it's probably game. I think it's probably Lovitz though. If for sake based, of maybe based the, on recent selections, yeah. okay, mm-hmm. it's Lovitz at left back. All right, then your holding midfielder is I'm going to say Michael Bradley, yep. although Jackson Yule's making a case. So let's say Bradley Nagby Leggett mm-hmm. is my midfield three. If Nagby refuses the call up, it's Bradley Pomacal Leggett. Okay. That's your midfield three. Then the front three is Paul Ariola, Josie Altador, Jordan Morris. Yes. 
So if we're comparing these uh, like for like, there are some matchups that I do think favor the domestic side. Oh, yeah? There are some that I think decidedly do not. That midfield battle, I think, is definitely going heavily in favor of Europe. They definitely have the legs. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to say it's, it's Europe winning this one is, is my prediction. Yeah. And I'm going to say it's like not – it's not close, but it's not. I'm going to say they go up like 3 0, and then America gets a consolation goal, and it's 3 1. Can I show you my screen? You can. What have you done? I, I mean, you can attempt to. Uh, actually, I can't tell it enough, but it says 3 1. 3 1, okay. 3 1 to the Euros. <laughs> that was, I, just, I just need everyone to understand that Daryl tried to show me a screen by turning it like horizontally or vertically, and then yep. being like, did that help? So the answer to can I show you my screen was no. It turns out. <laughs> How did we both land on 3 1? Because I think it makes sense, right? That the, um, the Euro By the way, team... we really have not seen each other's screens. Yeah. And I, and it, <laughs> you still haven't seen much. Exemplified by the fact that I came up with that scoreline on the fly. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Um, I think it's what you said, is that the Euro team is definitely better, right? Mm-hmm. For example, their left back is Tim Ream, whereas uh, the domestic one is... Question mark. Daniel Lovett yeah. slash question mark. Yeah. The midfield is younger mm-hmm. and more mobile, right? Yep. It's got that going for it. And then the only... In fact, the only obvious strength yeah, is agreed. maybe Altador over Sargent. But like... The Euro team has Pulisic mm-hmm. and has Weyer maybe because of his Weyer, Weyer is the other one a little, that, that a little shaky. Me. But I think basically the Euro team is superior but not vastly superior. Right. And that's why 3-1 feels like, yeah, we'd win, but this was a competitive game. Yes. Yeah, yeah I, I'm with you on that one. Timothy Weyer is the one that, that makes it a little bit harder for me with the attack between some of the concerns we have about Josh Sargent. Then Weyer we haven't seen in a very long time. We, yeah. uh, According to a tweet today from Brian Schroeder, we probably still won't see him for a decent mm-hmm. amount of time. Yeah, this is assuming everybody's fit yeah. and healthy, by the way. So I can't yeah. tell if this is just us like remembering him fondly, like sprinkled in with a little bit of like, and also we want him to be very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I think he still probably comes in and gives Paul Ariola a run for his money in terms of which of them is better for the national team as a whole. I don't want to get deeply into like selecting the 11, but if you were concerned about where, you could put Dwayne Holmes on the right Mm -hmm. wing or you could put Tyler Boyd on the right wing. And then you could move Alfredo Morales in. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's definitely Europe. Okay, cool. Uh (laughs) Done. (laughs) So Europe is shallower, but the superior players are there, right? I've always said Europe is shallower. They would win three. One. It's funny. That's what they say about you. And and Stefan Guzan, <laughs> after this international break, first of all, hurtful. Second of all, I thought Guzan did really well. Yeah, I, thought he, I thought he was a, a fine, capable goalkeeper. I thought he had the personality and leadership. So I do think that balances. Kind of yeah, that balances out a little bit. I was like looking at this as like if you're assigning points, okay, like that one that cancels. Let's do it. Like that one cancels out. So it's nil nil still or one to one if you want to go that way. Dest over cannon. Dest Love Reggie Cannon, but Junior Dest is yep. the better player. Mm-hmm. I would say Miazga and Zimmerman is kind of a wash. Yep. But then Long and Brooks. I think I maybe give the edge to Miazga, but I think I like Miazga more than a lot of other people. So. Okay. But yeah, I take your point. Brooks, I think, goes over Long. Yeah. Yep. I mean, even though I love Aaron Long, and my yep. favorite pair right now is Brooks and Long. It's, yeah. a, it's a transatlantic center back partnership. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Brooks is the superior player. And then Reem over Lovitz yep. comfortably, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the midfield three, everyone loves Tyler Adams. Yeah. Michael Bradley is no longer America's sweetheart. <laughs> Tyler Adams is definitely more mobile. Yep. I would give the edge to Tyler Adams. I mean, mid- mid- midfield, it's it's 3-0, in my opinion, because Weston yeah, McKinney right. is over Darlington Nagby or Paxton Pomacall. Uh, and then, yeah, Dwayne Holmes, I think, offers you a lot more, even as a number 10, yeah. than uh, Sebastian Legette. Well, Greg, because- Bra- Greg Brailhalter would specifically disagree with that. I know he that, would. Yeah. And I think it's actually closer than people might think, mm-hmm. but I, I think Dwayne Holmes offers a bit more. And right I do now. think we had a bunch of t- people tweeted us or messaged us to say that like when we did our who won this camp or who had the best uh, international break for the U.S., we didn't mention Sebastian Legette. A, a lot of people thought that this year he sort of cemented his role as the replacement number 10 at lowest. And I think that's probably two for Greg Berhalter. Yeah. But I, I still go back to everything we have seen from Dwayne Holmes. Uh, I have enjoyed it, and I think he could do as good of a job 
or at very least as close to as good of a job right yeah. now as Sebastian Lecce. So it's a slight edge to Dwayne Holmes. Yes, slight I think so. Slight edge to Dwayne Holmes. Yeah. All right, then on the right wing, it's Weyer versus Ariola. Mm-hmm. This is a weird one, right? Ariola, lots of hustle, lots of hard work, often produces something mm-hmm. for the United States. Tim Ware, we haven't we haven't seen him in a while for the for the US national team. We've never seen him under Berhalter. But I think there's there's a lot more talent in those feet than there is in Paul Ariola. Can I say Chucky Lozano? Can I put Chucky Lozano <laughs> on this team with Alfonso Davies in there too? That'd be fine with I'm I, afraid not. I mean, I think we've talked about it before, but the, but the attack for the United States right now is an area of considerable vulnerability. That like Paul Ariola you, as you said, does everything really well. But it, if I'm totally being honest, it, like neither one of those options really is like Timothy Weah lights out for sure. Mm-hmm. Paul Ariola, though, like, am I sort of super confident about Paul Ariola in there going into a game? Like, yeah, he's going to be the one we need to dominate. Not really. And so I think that mm-hmm. is closer than I really thought it would okay. be. But I don't necessarily mean that in a good way. How about Altador versus Sargent? I, it's Altador right now. It is. I mean, it has to, especially if they're both fully fit. Altador for a lot of the like a lot of the ability to drop in and hold up play that we've talked about. I think it goes yep. advantage Altador, but then Christian Pulisic kind of trumps everything. It does, yeah. Pulisic does. Pulisic over Maris. I'd even say, even though like Ariola and Weyer's a wash, Altador over Sargent, Pulisic is so far and away the best player of these six front three mm-hmm. players that I think the advantage goes to the Euro. Team. Yes, yeah. If you maybe if you like like intentionally switched Morris to the other side, so then it was like Morris versus Weyer. Right now. Like with Morris, the form he's in, yep. I think maybe he goes, but the way we have it with Morris on the left, which is where he's been playing, yeah, I think it goes Christian right. Pulisic for sure. So 3-1 to the Euro-based team. Luckily, they all get to play together on the same men's national team. They, they, they do. do. Luckily, <laughs> luckily. Should we do one more question or we should get to today's sponsor? Uh, up to you. Well, if it's up to me, I think we both know I always want to talk about Manscaped. <laughs> of course you do. And I want to do it in a slightly awkward way because it always kind of makes me uncomfortable when we talk about grooming, only because I assume that people don't really want to hear personally about what, what we do downstairs uh-huh. when it comes to grooming. <laughs> I always go downstairs parts, my bathing suit area. Um, but reality is I think everybody does it because everybody has to do it. There's you know hair growing and things are unsightly. You want to get it cleaned up. You want to get it tamed and organized. Uh-huh. That's where Manscaped comes in, the number one uh, – company in men's below the belt grooming manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels yeah i love that it rhymes Mm -hmm. i love that it rhymes manscaped have redesigned the electric trimmer the lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin safe technology so it won't nick or snag anywhere that you don't want to nick or snag yeah when i think lawnmower i I definitely don't think of a thing that i want near my genitals Mm -hmm. uh but in this case i'm okay with it because it has that proprietary technology that means you're not going to make you feel more it's it's the lack of a giant spitting blade that makes me feel way better in Instead, it's tiny little blades that you can't really even see that are guaranteed to not nick or snag or cut or anything like that. Have you seen that episode of Mad Men? What? No, I guess you haven't. Okay, never mind. But there's a there's a lawnmower in the office at one point, and it ends very very badly. I mean, yeah, lawnmowers yeah. often do. Yeah. That was my giant fear my entire life. Uh-huh. Well, it was like since I was like nine, and my dad was like, "Yeah, sure, you're old enough to mow the lawn." And I was like, "What happens if my foot goes in there?" It's like, "Well, you don't have a foot anymore. Oh, you learn to hop. perfect." Yeah. Yeah. But lawnmower, you to hop. lawnmower two <laughs> The lawnmower two is a lot more safe. Keep your lawn nice and trim and tight. That's so ruthless. They also have uh, other products like the crop preserver, which is uh, anti chafing deodorant and moisturizer so it keeps things nice and nice and smooth and soaky down there mm-hmm. no more dry skin we've got winter coming it's you're gonna have dry skin everywhere but not down there because you've got the crop preserver moisturizer yep and you put it on your armpits you put deodorant on your armpits you do? why not why not put it in the smell on the smelliest part of your body they're they're all smelly cover them up get that smell <laughs> out of there and you can get 20 percent off 
off with free shipping with the code TSS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with with free shipping at manscaped.com. M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. Use the code TSS. And the link will be in the show notes. I can guarantee it because I'm going to put it there. Lovely. Right. <laughs> Got some more questions for you, Taylor. Let's do it. Um, up next, it's Mauricio Sadikoff. Mm-hmm. Mauricio asks, how does the work permit to the UK work when it comes to international caps? Is there an exact number of caps that makes one automatically able to get a permit? If so, how many? There is a number, but it's a calculated number. There's yeah. no generic like you have to have played 10 times or anything mm-hmm. like that. Basically, the way it works in a in abbreviated order, then Daryl, you can fill in the gaps or correct me entirely if I'm totally wrong, Okay, is that the first way of getting a permit, like the automatic way of qualifying is – you have to have played a certain percentage of games for your national team within mm-hmm. two years. If you're under 21, I believe it's only one year, the idea being that you probably haven't had as many opportunities. Yeah, yeah. But basically, that number is then uh, like calculated based on the rank of your national team. So if yep. you have a very, very good national team, a FIFA ranking of 1 to 10, you only have to have played in 30% of your national team games in the past two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it, it kind of goes up from there to the point where if you're at FIFA ranking 31 to 50, you have to have played in 7 75% of your national team games because the whole thing is you're trying to justify this is a very special player. They're unique. They're bringing in this like uh, un, like unseen skill set. Yeah. And therefore, the justification would be if you're that good and playing for a smaller national team, you should be playing for them every single game because you're just that important. Yep. And to use the or US... 75% of every game. To use the US as an example, the US are currently ranked 24 in mm-hmm. the world. So if your team's ranked 21 to 30, it's 60% and right. above. Mm-hmm. 60% and above. And you, you will qualify for a work permit to work in the United Kingdom. One thing I wanted to ask you... By work, you, I mean run around in the Premier League. Of course. Uh, one thing <laughs> I wanted to ask you, Daryl, like, uh, forgive me for putting you on the spot, I- yeah. is, it, is it within a year, like if you're an under-21, is it within a year of your eligibility? Because like, how would Serginho Dest, as an example, factor into this? Because he's played for the U.S. at youth level. Well, he has level. a Dutch passport. That, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So, oh, so right there, it wouldn't matter. Is mm-hmm. that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay, so dual nationals, we can remove that because they've got the, the passport. If you've got an EU passport, mm-hmm. right now you can work in the U.K. This might all change after Brexit, but that's a whole different thing that's not worth getting so into. So hypothetical then, let's say there's like this 16-year-old that breaks onto the scene in Major League Soccer and a Premier League club wants to buy him. He's only like just made his first appearance, but because he's so young, do you know if it matters that like that player has only just become sort of eligible or aware? Or is the idea that, well, he could have played a year ago, so it factors in. You've I don't know this year. for sure, but I assume they, yeah. they just take it pretty much to the letter of the law. That, okay, yeah. you're under 21, it's only the past year, and then they look at like from calendar, like today we're recording on November 22nd, 2019, they would go back to November 22nd, 2018 uh-huh. and see how many games you played in. Right? And this, so you, you don't get like a, a cutoff for having just started yeah, your career. That, yeah. that, which makes sense because that would be maybe too big of a loophole. Yeah. Uh, then in terms of loopholes, there are other bigger ones, uh, which Daryl, correctly anticipating my uh, tendency to go way too deep down the rabbit hole, uh, <laughs> answered me with like, well, couldn't it be this or this? I think Daryl's response was, well, yeah, but we could all talk about all of this on a Soccer 101 episode yeah. and go deep there. So the basic thing is if you somehow don't have the mm-hmm. necessary percentage to get the work permit. We, which we should add, it's, it's kind of easy not to because yeah, even like 60% of the U.S.'s games if – I mean Tyler Adams isn't even close to that. But you've got a lot of people who – maybe you've got a few injuries. You miss some camps. Then like if there's a January camp, you're a European-based player. Now yep. you're not going to be called into those two games. It's easy for those games to add up yep. and suddenly you haven't qualified. Wait, but that's not the end of it, right? right? Essentially there's an appeals process and then a point system based mm-hmm. on – 
all kinds of other factors, including like how much you're going to be paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can like submit supporting evidence about how good this player is. There's essentially a whole appeals process where you can still get the work permit. Um, it's just a lot more work than yep. being able to say. Um, all the evidence you need to say is that he played 60% or mm-hmm. more of those games it's done right there you go so but there, there is an appeals process we will get into that um on soccer 101 in a future episode when we talk about work permits i like this plan yeah. i also like our next question you good with that oh yeah uh owen wang uh, out of liverpool's current starting 11 which type of player is u.s soccer most and least likely to develop and why not including goalkeeper because that would be the answer says <laughs> owen i actually disagree i feel like a, a goalkeeper who can play with their feet is a thing that the United States could easily develop. I would say Zach Steffen is going in that direction. It's why Man City have signed him. Yeah, he's saying that's not included in that could be the answer for the thing we're most likely to develop is a good goalkeeper. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. I thought it was. I thought it was, that was in reference to the least likely to develop because goalkeeper would. be I mean, the I'm answer. just taking context. Here. Okay, like cool. the US is somewhat famous for right, having cool. goalkeepers, right? That makes me. Okay. That makes me. Then I would say goalkeeper is probably the most likely because I okay. think we kind of are already going down that path as it is. Okay, so not including goalkeeper mm-hmm. because that would be the answer. Yeah, um, I would say Trent Alexander. Arnold. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason being that a player like that who is one kind of tall, right? Two, like really good with both feet and like really technically very, very, very good. There was no way he grows up in US soccer being a right back. No. Trent Alexander Arnold, if he's somewhere in the US soccer system, um, which actually does have some American link, right? But mm-hmm. he's obviously much more interested in playing for England. Um, if, he, if he had come up through the American system, he would definitely be a midfielder mm-hmm. with that level of technical talent. There was no way, there was no way we'd, we would make him into a raiding right back. No, and, and I agree with that for everything you've said. I would add to it. Like, and I would kind of add Andy Robertson to this. I would add both of them together is a thing that that's not going to happen because it also is sort of suited to Liverpool because they're going to be so attacking, because they're going to be on the front foot and have the technical ability across the board to be able to commit those numbers forward, to be able to have both fullbacks forward contributing to the attack, is not a thing I think the United States can really do comfortably. So for everything you said combined with one of them would be a midfielder and one of them would be a fullback, yeah. I think that's the other reason why you wouldn't be able to get both And of them. the other thing that we, we've heard a lot is that in the U.S., essentially our fullbacks are often... Uh, less good central midfielders, mm-hmm. right? As in, like, you go through your youth career being a central midfielder, and then at some point someone's like, oh, you're the fourth best player in this three-man midfield. How about you try playing right back, yeah. right? Whereas TAA is an elite talent. He would have never got shifted to fullback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To- totally on-, on board with you there. Okay. After that, I think it gets a little bit harder because... Oh, I- I've got one more answer that I think is equally convincing. Uh, give it to me. Mo Salah. Okay, yeah. why? Little guy, uh-huh. um, all about technique and... Uh, dribbliness. Uh-huh. I'm not sure that's a player that does well in the American system. Isn't that kind of Christian Pulisic? That no, you Christian describe? Pulisic is lightning fast. Okay. Yeah. Salah's not slow by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I don't think of it as his, his standout attribute. I, okay. I mean, I, but I think that's where, where, I was, where I was going with it is more of a like, I think we have a lot of rough or like semi-rough approxima- approximations of these players. Yeah. And so like, I would say like Pulisic, I, I understand your point, but I also think like, like we've had some players who are like like a couple tiers down, but similar style, I think, to Mohamed Salah. I would say Mohamed Salah is even like his style is more like a Hispanic player. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. More like a traditional um, like Spanish speaking style winger. Right? Okay, and that's not something that the U.S. has done a good job of fostering. Yeah. yeah. All right. I, I I see your point there. I would I would have added uh, Firmino to that one, and I mm. did uh, because. 
like we have, as I was talking about before, like we have Josie Altador who can drop in and sort of create space for other players and do hold up play. But in all of the other things Firmino does, the way he sees the field, the way it's not just like, oh, okay, this player has gone here, so now I'll go in. It's not just simply like patterns of play and rotations. He seems to be constantly adapting and evolving and like um, uh, Ultron style, like adjusting and learning what he like from what he learned and yeah. how best to utilize that little bit of ability and the way he reads the game yep. is a thing that I think is tremendously difficult to teach and coach and help develop. Yep. And I think it is one of those things that you sort of naturally have and then know to embrace and then grow from there. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really difficult to have. And I think he's got that. So who are we most likely to develop? Hmm. I mean, I think any like physical center backs, I think that we've we've done a decent job with that that yeah. combined some technical passing ability. I think that's the thing that we've been working towards. I would go wouldn't go quite so far as to say like we can just emulate Virgil van Dyke, no problem. But <laughs> like Joel Matip, Dejan uh Dejan Love yeah. I haven't talked to, I wanted to say Lovich for some reason. It's been a while since we talked about him. But I think that uh, potentially and then I think like the the bread and butter of the U- of US soccer for so long is James Milner. Like James Milner is is an American player basically mm, that it's that's a lot like it's no obviously clear position mm, moving around the field. Really hard work, always yeah. going to be running, always going to be working as hard as he can. Like professional get your job done sort of guy. That I mean that's Steve Torontolo, that's like more than half of the 2002 World Cup team, that's mm-hmm. a lot of the 2010 World Cup team. I think that one is sort of like work really really hard, do your job. Yep. That's kind of where we already are. I think for the set, exact same reasons mm-hmm. Jordan Henderson. Yep, agreed. So Henderson and Milner are the most sort of classic US players that those are guys we could develop and I would say have developed that style of player would would a completely peak Michael Bradley like like as he's moving to Roma maybe he's there for a season could he do some of the stuff that Jordan Henderson does if he continues think, to develop yeah I'm not sure if he's at the same same level as Henderson is now no certainly not but mm-hmm. I think he's a comparable style of player yeah yeah okay. not Michael Bradley now but Michael Bradley a few years ago when he moved a lot more you're very comparable to Jordan Henderson, no, right? Yeah, because think of it—not flashy, not a lot of tricks, but like good at lots of little things and able to influence a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right, all right. I think I think those are all my answers. Have you got some more? I, no, I don't. I think I think Henderson and Milner are the correct answer, and I feel strongly about TAA and Mosella being the correct answer. And I'm convinced by Firmino as well. Okay, yeah, I, I try. I, I think I never realized how much I would grow to love Roberto Firmino uh, to the extent that I finally learned to stop having the teal day on there. But here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Um, you ready for a question from Drew Trammell? Mm-hmm. Uh, Drew Trammell wants to know, what is your favorite non-goal type of play and the most memorable example or player mm-hmm. of such? So your most favorite, your favorite non-goal type of play mm-hmm. and the most memorable example of it. Right, I love goalkeeper chaos. I lo- I'm a big fan of that one. And, and I, don't just mean, mean? I don't just mean like Rob Green spilling the ball into the goal. I don't really care about that. That's a goal. I mean like Manuel Neuer being 40 yards off of his line. I mean Jens Lehmann going in for a slide tackle and then pretending like he's been stamped on. Yeah. Anytime, you're, anytime you have that moment, and I know you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when I describe this, that moment of like, oh, the keeper's out. Like just yeah, that yeah. feeling of like, oh, things could happen. I don't know what's going to go on. Things are flying through the air right now. What's, how's this all going to play? Yeah. Um, to the point where I, I intentionally tried to find footage of Hamburg playing in Bundesliga 2 last season because I had heard that they started using their goalkeeper as a third center back. Yeah. And I was obsessed with it because I want to <laughs> – anytime there's that possibility of a goalkeeper getting lobbed from 80 yards out, you're going to be that much more excited. So this, but this isn't about goalkeeper incompetence. This is about high-risk maneuvers by goalkeepers. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, but just sort of anytime they're – yeah, not incompetence. It's more like anytime they're outside of the 18. Even the one where they think 
think they're going to get to the ball first, and then suddenly there's that realization of like, oh no, that forward has chased that ball down, and I'm 20 yards from goal. This is not good, and they're like frantically backpedaling. Uh-huh. Just those moments where you have no idea what's going to happen because you don't even have the constant of the goalkeeper in the box. Uh-huh. It, it uh, brings about my enthusiasm for sure. And then what's your, what's your best example? I guess Manuel Neuer. Uh, yes, Manuel Neuer and Jens Lehmann were the two that I had oh, as like okay. my my preferred ones. There, I have got one more, but I don't want to uh, bogart it. Do you want to do one? No, do, you take it, take it. Uh, any moments in which the stadium ref- respectfully applauds? That's another one. <laughs> Anytime, you know what I mean? When like like if uh, like the, an opposition player. No, it could be either one, but like it's usually the home team, and you're applauding the sort of like we applaud that moment well done yeah. it doesn't have to be like an incredible moment of skill it's just the like a ball is pinged in at a central midfielder and he or she like brings it down and turns with one touch and plays it with the other foot to the opposite side of the field and I in see. two touches has switched the ball like 80 yards and then the, the crowd will respond with that like you can just hear sort of everybody like politely it's above a golf clap but it's yep. not like outright cheering it's just that like well done well so done everyone just mm-hmm. recognized that that was a supreme bit of talent yes yeah, yeah. so uh, like a nice quick sequence in which a player finds space uh, a big talent Tackle is another one where you'll get like the whole crowd will be up for it or even yep. just really good 1v1 defending and you get the sort of knowing applaud. I love that knowing applaud moment. Anytime you can tell that the crowd is into it, but more so than just generically screaming, but in that moment is all about it. Whenever they call man on, I've talked about that one before. Yep. I just love the crowd being so into the game that they appreciate those tiny moments. Okay, mine you could have guessed with ease. Center back doing center back things? It's slide tackling. There we go. I love slide tackling. I just I love a good surgical slide tackle especially to get really specific where the centre-back or it doesn't have to be a centre-back it could be any defender um, is making a high-risk tackle but comes away with the ball ooh that's a good one when they like stick it and then yeah. the player go- keeps going and they just pop up with the mm-hmm. ball on their feet so yeah I mean a slide tackle where you just poke one. it out of bounds that's great too you've, mm-hmm. like, you know, you've stopped a potentially dangerous situation but if you slide in and then when you stand up the ball is at your feet mm-hmm. and, you, and you've got loads of space because normally the other guy has gone off somewhere else yep yeah, that, that's my absolute moment. The best example I could find of this, um, it comes from the Bundesliga in 2010. It's Philipp Lahm slide tackling Ivan Rakitic, who was playing for Schalke at the time. Bayern accidentally coughed I 100% up. forgot that happened. Yeah, right? Wow. <laughs> Bayern kind of accidentally turned the ball over. Rakitic thought he was away. He's accelerating down. Schalke's left. Philipp Lahm's playing right back. Lahm slide tackles across him. Mm-hmm. Almost like tackles with the heel of his, I think, right foot. So it looks all wrong. But it's so perfectly timed that Philip Lahm stands up and turns around, balls at his feet, and he just makes his way up the right flank. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. That's a really good it's one. It's so high risk, right? It it's is. a potential red card if you get it wrong. Yep. If you get it right, it's safe and it's beautiful. I think that's my, that's my favorite type of slide tackle. Second favorite is the one where you get all ball cleanly, but then know you're getting all ball cleanly, so maybe also take a little bit of the man as well, but you know you're never going to get called for it, but you can get that <laughs> big, big tackle so you know, like, yep, I'm here, and I'm going to be here all day. I used to love the slide in and, like, don't touch the player at all, but just poke the ball out of bounds mm-hmm. until I realized that that is the best possible way of showing that you did not need to go in for a slide tackle. <laughs> if you can be, if that player is, like, so slow or has taken such a heavy touch that you can just poke the ball out of bounds and not come anywhere near the other player, mm-hmm. you probably did not need to slide in. <laughs> so yours is definitely the best one. So Philip Lom is the... Uh, uh, exemplifier of that one. I mean, exemplar. at least that's the incident that I found. I wouldn't say it was mm-hmm. something Philip Lahm did all the time. Yep. I don't know that it wasn't, mm-hmm. but it's actually quite rare for anyone to do this, yep. right? To slide in, get the ball, and pop up and go the other way. Yeah. Definitely. The fact that it's against Rakitic makes it better, though. It really does. Like a right? really talented mm-hmm. player. If it was against some Nomark, it wouldn't be so impressive. <laughs> some Nomark. <laughs> um, and then I had a couple other ones, but I realized all of them inevitably end in a goal so it kind of defeats yeah. like or goes away from the question but like I've got wall passes sequences of wall passes are like always really really pretty to watch but yeah, yeah one twos tend to lead to shots on goal or something yep. like that I mean I like a good defensive header 
Okay. So many defensive headers like don't go far enough or they drop short or they go the wrong way. I love it when it's like there's a lot of players in the box, there's a lot of pressure on a team, and someone gets a defensive header that goes like 30 yards. Have you, you know ever I mean? seen – I do know exactly what you mean. I'm not sure if you will know what I mean. This has stuck out to me since I was like 10 years old. Have you ever seen a defender, uh, like a center back – win a header so dominantly that, like, their feet are back, and as they head it, they go out like that? No. Yeah, like, I know, like, listeners won't love this, but it's basically, like, imagine your feet, like, cur- like, like curl behind you, and then as you head it, they go straight out. I've seen, like, two center backs play. One was on the UVA team with Ben Olsen way back when, mm-hmm. but I just remember that as, like, and it went 40 yards upfield. Like, he got, I don't know how the player <laughs> did it, but that's sort of, like, everything happening at once, and it was, like, a big explosion of power yeah. behind it. It's, it's a lovely header to watch. Oh, speaking of lovely headers to watch, mm-hmm. I really enjoy when managers or coaches on the sideline that's a good one do the header yep. as their player is doing it to score I absolutely love it I think Gerhard Klopp might be number one yes, in that one I think that, he ma- is, yeah. that man goes for the header but then I also love there's this weird delay of like I think because he's so focused on executing his own header uh-huh. that then he has to pause for a moment and make sure you always see him like Glenn lean to the side and like definitely went in now I'll go celebrate <laughs> <laughs> now they'll be fist bumping <laughs> that's a good shout yeah. I think anytime a, a manager gets involved whenever you have that one where it's like the, the goalkeeper punts the ball out of bounds and the manager brings it down with one touch it's always like ah the oh, reminder just faking it but like yeah, yeah the ball actually goes to yeah. it yeah it's like the reminder of dominance that like yep. do you see how easy this is for me I brought that ball down why can't you 11 do that and I'm wearing a suit ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good question thank you Drew <laughs> Three more questions to go, but first, today's show is sponsored by Roughneck Scarves, sponsors of the Total Soccer Show for the last billion years. For the last billion years, indeed. Roughneck Scarves, R-U-F-F-N-E-C-K, scarves.com. They are the official scarf provider of U.S. Soccer, MLS, NCAA, and USL. It is getting to be scarf season, which is a really nice time, I do think, because it's, I don't know, you get to like wear different coats and sweatshirts, yeah. and then you got the scarf on, but it allows you to not have to wear jerseys and all that other gear. Just wear the scarf, and it's a subtle way of saying, I care about soccer, yep. but not so much that I'm full kit. And if you want to buy a soccer scarf, obviously Roughneck Scarves is the place to go, because they have all kinds of things, like multiple different scarf designs for every single team mm-hmm. you can think of. Including, I think we've done this before, almost every national team you can think of, if yeah. not just straight up every national team you can mm-hmm. think of. We've got the Euros around the corner this coming summer. If you want to get into the Euros, if you've decided, I am one-sixth this ran- like random country, that's the team I'm going to go for. Maybe you find out you're Finnish. You get the Finnish <laughs> scarf. You support Finland at the Euros because every national team, or pretty much every national team, is represented uh, in the a- international section of Roughneck Scarves. And I do want to say, I started off by saying they've been our sponsors for a billion yeah. years. They are the longest-running mm-hmm. sponsor of the Total Soccer Show. They're one of the original sponsors that made us realize that we could turn this into yep. um, a full-time thing. We really do owe the current state of the Total Soccer Show to Roughneck Scarves taking a chance on us all the way back in, what, 2015 yeah. or so? Yeah, they've really um, they've made us what we are today. And we met them in Chicago uh, last year at the Coaches Convention, yeah. and we came away from that being like, yeah, let's just keep advertising them forever because they are so good uh, yeah, w- yeah, wonderful folks who produce a wonderful product. Yep, and if you want 20% off that product, it's a wonderful product, but you don't have to pay full product. If you oh, that's 20% good. off yeah. at roughneckscarves.com, you can use the discount code TOTALSOCCERSHOW, all one word, TOTALSOCCERSHOW, for 20% off any scarf you find at roughneckscarves.com. One more time, that's 20% off using the promo code TOTALSOCCERSHOW, all one word, at roughneckscarves.com. Thank you to Roughneck Scarves for sponsoring us since, I believe, before the Big Bang. Is that what we've established? <laughs> yes. They, they were here selling scarves, and then everything else came into yeah. existence. The Big Bang is when I fell over in 2015, it's, right? Yeah, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Next question comes from Calvin Derleth. For a struggling team, what are some ways you can tell if the coach or the quality of the players is the primary issue? So is it the coach or is it the players? How can you know for sure? 
I think it's really hard to tell without context, mm-hmm. right? I think the only way is you need some context from outside of the game you're watching. Like, if this this group of 11 players mm-hmm. was doing really well under a previous coach, yeah. that's obviously that's a, a deal-breaker, mm-hmm. as Tina Fey would say. Um, or if each of those 11 players has performed really well elsewhere, like for a different team in recent memory, mm-hmm. um, then I think that's a, that's a sure sign. The only like in context sign is maybe if all the players look really unhappy with the yeah. coach or with the instructions, if they are visibly frustrated with what they're being asked to do. But that's such an obvious. If thing. If the coach gives an instruction, the player turns around and gives him or her the finger. Then you can tell that yeah. there's some bad blood there. Yeah. And then maybe the only, only, only other way mm-hmm. is if you just have your own knowledge of knowing that this these tactics do not suit these players, mm-hmm. right? Um, the one thing that comes to mind is when Andre Villas-Boas took over at Chelsea, Chelsea mm-hmm. and he had John Terry still like a key part of the lineup. He had John Terry play a really high line. Yep. John Terry famously, like brilliant mm. footballer with the ball at his feet, great defender, not fast at all. You don't want to like put space in behind John Terry. And Andrew Villas-Boas did that, had him play high up the field. That to me is an obvious example of it being the, the coach making a mistake. I, I so agree you need with, your own personal knowledge for the context. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said because even then I think in that moment you won't know is that John Terry – like if, and especially if you have no context if you're just watching a random game, you're not going to know. Even if you know John Terry though, you might wonder like, well, maybe they've been working on that in training and maybe he knows better or maybe John Terry's not doing it well. I do think it almost requires you to watch that game again to really be able to focus in and think like, okay, yeah, that was definitely a mistake. It's hard to know on the fly. But I think the other thing I would agree with with your point is you probably have to have a couple games sample size in order to really be able to tell because yeah. I think if you can see what the team is trying to do but it's held up by like like we saw this a couple times this season with the kickers that like you could kind of see ideas but then the pass would go out of bounds when it didn't need to or the pass would be like heavily miscontrolled that to me is like okay so the players aren't quite fulfilling what's being asked of them or aren't up to the technical level that they need to be yeah. that's the issue but then there's other moments when you but really is that, is that the coach's fault for asking players to do something they can't do or is it the player's fault for not being good enough to well, do it, it I, but I think that is if the question is can you tell if it's the coach or the quality of the players being the primary oh, issues okay. I feel like that's quality of players f- at least to some extent maybe it is off the coach for not mm-hmm. asking realistic things but I think if you can't tell anything if you're sort of like I think they're in a back four but then sometimes they're not I think they're in a midfield three but then sometimes oh, they're not I don't know where that guy is he's just standing up top by himself I think if you can't get clear ideas from game to game if you can't see what they're trying to do then to me that's a lack of effective coaching at the very least a lack of effective communication to the players what they need to be doing fair enough our next question comes from Raghav Gupta mm-hmm. Raghav wants to know how does Sergio Dest's uh, US men's national team declaration affect his future transfers I think it helps I really do. Really? Yep. Uh, Because I think if you're looking from a commercial standpoint, he's American now. The American market means jersey sales, tours, lots of eyes are going to be focused on your team. I think it's part of the reason why Christian Pulisic gets the transfer fee he gets. I think his ability and skill obviously justify that. But I think there are definitely teams that look two Americans as maybe we tack on a few more million because that player is going to be a key performer for them and then we can sell some more jerseys. I honestly think that the evidence for like the marketability of something mm-hmm. in the United States is it has an impact but not enough to affect the size of a transfer fee or a club's decision to sign a player. I, I think it exists but I don't think it exists as a big enough factor to actually change anything. Right, but I think... In I think ca- it's just a nice bonus. That, I guess that's what I mean though. It's, it is a positive in my opinion yeah. versus it's, it's not a... And I'm not saying this is where Ragoff was coming from but I know there are people who have made that argument of like good luck ever getting another transfer because you're American now and Americans are bad. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's 
how it goes. No, because everyone knows he's also Dutch, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, but like, I, and then I, I think just on top of that, that, like removing that from the equation, he's still a player who's come through the Ajax Academy, who's been developed by Ajax and is now starting for them. So like, I think maybe that's why I went to the commercial side because I think from a, a gameplay standpoint – what you do with the national team is good in terms of getting headlines, and there's always the World Cup boost of players now mm-hmm. being worth a little bit more money. But aside from that, it's about what you do at club level. And if you're starting for Ajax, playing in the Champions League, and doing just fine and looking like you fit in, yeah. I think that is going to be a big factor in who wants to sign him and when. The only thing or I a bigger think factor. is that um, there's definitely a better chance. Correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I think there's a better chance of Serginho Dest going to a World Cup as a starting right back mm-hmm. with the U.S., than with the Netherlands, just because there's more competition in the Dutch team. Mm-hmm. And he could have a standout World Cup that increases his value with the US. Mm-hmm. But he also could have won the Dutch starting right-back job. Like, it's within, it's conceivable, right? It's conceivable, but... So I slightly improved his odds of having a right-back, yeah. a World Cup where he's the right-back for a national team. Because, yes, and like, let me let me finish one, one, one Twitter before you, you jump down my throat here. But like, I think if he wins that job with the Dutch national team, it's because he has won the job and made himself fit what is being asked of that Dutch right back in order to get it. With the United States, I think like he's an automatic starter. Wherever sort of Greg Berhalter wants to utilize him, he's going to start in that position. Yeah. And I don't mean that to say like so he doesn't have to challenge himself, but I mean it to say more so that you sort of structure your team a little bit more around his specific talents and abilities, yeah. whereas with Ajax, maybe they're saying, actually, we just want you to stay back and do these three things. We don't really need this aspect of your game that's already strong, yeah. whereas the U.S. maybe helps develop that a bit covered. more. Yeah, so I, I think I think that can be uh, maybe a little bit of a drawback, but certainly a strength at the same time. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you talk about, sorry, you were talking about the Netherlands, not mm-hmm. Ajax, right? So yeah. Not Ziyech, but like one of the many, many talented Dutch players. I knew what you meant. They've I knew what you meant. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, Caroline Pierregan. Mm-hmm. Car- Caroline Pierregan asks, if a person was fouled in the box, so an obvious penalty, but they managed to score as they were being fouled, would they still get the penalty... For the chance to earn two goals from the play. Would the goal stand without a penalty being awarded? Or would a penalty be awarded but the goal doesn't count because the play ended with the foul? And the answer, as always, is it depends. Yep. Um, basically, if advantage has been given, if the official hasn't yet blown the whistle, then the play is still live and allowed mm-hmm. to continue. So if the player scores, the goal counts. There is no penalty. You do not get a chance to get a double goal. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, that, maybe that should be a thing. Uh, I kind of wouldn't hate it. Wouldn't uh, that be like, uh, like sinking a basket but then also getting a foul? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah and one. Um, and then maybe there's a yellow after the goal goes in because you are mm. still, like if it's a bad enough foul, you still want to discipline the player for the bad foul even if the player scored. Um, if the whistle has blown, then the play is dead. So even if the ball That's is already right. in the air but the referee's blown that whistle, yep. it's going to be contentious, but the play is stopped, so the penalty is given, and uh, no goal is allowed until the penalty is scored. And then the, the thing is what most refs will do mm-hmm. is if they see the they might be thinking, I'm about to blow for a foul, but if they see the ball heading towards goal, they'll just delay a little bit, mm-hmm. and then they just won't blow it because it's in. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you'll, you'll almost, unless the referee makes a horrible mistake, you'll never get a situation where he blows the whistle after the ball has gone to the next. It's mm-hmm. embarrassing for him. But even if he does that, it's still a goal. Right. Because the whistle hasn't been blown, the play isn't dead until the ball is over the line. Yeah. So it's, it's a goal already. It is. Uh, and I would say this to Carol, uh, Carolyn or anybody else who like wants to sort of see this happen or is curious for how you can kind of evaluate what's happening in the game. People, like our, our, our uh, amateur like adult teams, 
you'll have the the clear penalty and people will lose their minds and then two seconds later the referee will blow for the foul and every time that's happened they people like get all mad like what how is that not a penalty and then he blows the whistle and then the next one is you pivot to well why didn't you call it sooner and the answer is because they were giving advantage and so mm-hmm. if you watch these games even when the referee does the very strong whistle and the very direct point of like it's a penalty it's usually two seconds or so after the penalty has happened yep. where they're sort of making sure nothing else is going to go on and then there's the call for penalty mm-hmm. because they want to make sure they're not ruining an attacking opportunity. Referees do so many things that are a kindness to players yes. that players don't realize. hundred yeah. percent. It's dude, it, you'd be you'd be surprised how much it. I've come around on this one. Yeah. Like this weekend, my team scored a goal and the referee blew it off, and my whole team went nuts. And it was just me and one other guy. Like they're not, he's not going to change it. It's not going to. We're wasting our time here. <laughs> we're wasting our time. Get back in shape and play. It's uh, they they do really do that. And I always go to. We've talked about this on the show before. It is one of my favorite refereeing moments it was the the video that made the round of mike dean like quote-unquote celebrating tottenham scoring do you yeah, remember this one yes, yes. where he like hops up and down and kind of like fist bump like like uh, fist pumps and everybody was like oh how is he roughing tottenham he's clearly cheering cheering for them but he's cheering because he allowed advantage which led to the goal yeah. so he's celebrating the fact that he got the call right like you see those moments from referees and you remember like oh right they're here too yeah and they're working really really hard to make these things happen they're working really hard to get it right mm-hmm. so when they do i understand the celebration yeah. of me doing my job at a high level correctly but they're all garbage and blind as well <laughs> <laughs> where's your guide dog come on zebras <laughs> Um, all right. Thank you to everybody for uh, sending the questions in that we asked today. Mm-hmm. If you would like to send us a question, it's totalsoccershow.com slash questions. Totalsoccershow.com slash questions. I'll put a link in the show notes. We encourage you to send your questions. We certainly do. Um, we will be back on Monday. Mm-hmm. Not we, Taylor and Ryan mm-hmm. will be back on Monday with the weekend review. We also have a Steve Chirundolo interview mm-hmm. coming for you over the weekend. And if you go check the Soccer 101 feed, you will get um, our show all about the League Cup. Um, what is it? Mm-hmm. How can we make it better? And then also promotion relegation in the United States. That episode is slightly longer than the League Cup episode. Slightly longer, and there's a lot in there. I really, I think we put a lot of work into mm-hmm. it. Um, I would recommend it to people, even if I wasn't on it. <laughs> Maybe even more so. It yeah. might even be better if I wasn't on it, but that's the episode you stuck with. And a couple more Soccer 101 <laughs> episodes coming up next week. A couple more Total Soccer Show episodes next week. Then we'll be off for sort of the Thanksgiving-y break. Yes, and I'll, back be, after I'll be back that. in England. Yeah? Yeah. You excited? I am excited, yeah. Are you stiff upper lip and all that? Stiff upper lip. Yeah, I'll stiffen my lip on the way over there. You're stiffer lip and minding the gap, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. There's a, there's a prescription thing you can get that you put on your lip. <laughs> it stiffens as I cross the Atlantic. Lip stiffer? Lip stiffer, cool. yeah. Lip stiffer. <laughs> you put it on as you cross the Atlantic? Yeah, so, you, so it's like it's had time to work by the time I land. But like, is there is there a boundary line for, for the lip stiffer? That yeah, you like? Green, Greenland. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Everyone knows that, of course. I don't know how I forgot Yeah, how that. did you not know this? <laughs> so matter of fact. Come on. So matter of fact. <laughs> All right, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. It was jolly pleasant. (laughs) Right back at you, buddy. But whatever the American for jolly is. (laughs) Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. 